Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live. Giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, welcome to the second episode of the Blue, White and Yellow, your home of Leeds United news, analysis, opinion and this summer Euro 2020 reaction uh, from our dedicated team of Leeds United reporters at Leeds Live. Um, I'm Joe Donoghue, standing in on the hosting duties for Conor McGilligan this week. Uh, You can think of me as the Terry Connor to Conor's Mick McCarthy, uh, the Sammy Lee to his Sam Allardyce or even closer to home, uh, the Andres Clavijo to his Marcelo Bielsa. Um, joining me on the blue, white and yellow this week is Baron Cross after his more than impressive uh, appearance on episode one last week, as well as a debut for Joe Mewis, our Leeds United editor. Um, quite the trio, guys. And, and I suppose what a time to be recording. The midst of the Euros, the group stage done and dusted. Calvin Phillips hasn't missed a single minute. Uh, some Leeds players through the knockouts without having played a game. Some eliminated despite their best efforts. Um, how are we both feeling? Ready for Ready for the round of 16? Yeah, hi there, Joe. Thanks for um, getting me on, by the way. It's uh, always good to make the debut. It's um, it's actually a second debut because uh, I think you mentioned it last week, but Baron and I had our sort of um, launch podcast a, a couple of years ago, didn't we? So um, I'm a bit of a, a Fabian Delph or a Lee Chapman making a, a second debut. Hopefully <laughs> it goes a bit better than those two. Um, but yeah, no, the, um, the Euro group stage done and dusted, isn't it? It was, um, I mean, it was a cracking night of football last night, wasn't it? Um, we were originally supposed to be recording this one tomorrow, um, yesterday, sorry. But and I was going to come in with this uh, hot take of how dull the last uh, round of group games was. You know, we saw sort of England qualify without playing, bit of a low octane game against the Czech Republic. But yeah, last night was was brilliant stuff, wasn't it? It was one of those proper um, great knockout tournament evenings, wasn't it? Where who was going through changed every five minutes. So um, so that was really good fun. But yeah, with with the England hat on, um, I suppose it's all eyes, isn't it? Really on um, on Calvin versus Robin Koch, isn't it? Next Tuesday night. Um, and I think that's that's going to be a really really good one. So yeah, from from the Leeds United point of view, we're going to have um, Calvin versus Robin Koch uh, on Tuesday night at Wembley, um, which should be pretty good, really. I mean, as as you said in your intro there, Joe, Calvin not play he's played every single minute so far, hasn't he? So um, you'd like to think he's undroppable. Um, certainly, I know Gary Neville was on Twitter this morning. He put his favourite eleven out, and and he's got Calvin in there. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Obviously, we've got Jordan Henderson playing 45 minutes the other night, coming back in. Has, has Calvin done enough to keep him out of the side? I'm still just thinking of uh, Andres Clavillo uh, from uh, from Joe's intro because we had Father's Day there, didn't we? And um, all the, the cards were doing the rounds. You know, when they've got like the uh, the animation of, uh, of Andres and Marcelo on the front and you've got like Marcelo saying, you're a very good dad. And, uh, and then you've got Andres sort of looking up at the camera translating it it's just it's such an ingenious idea and um i kind of want one i'm a bit disappointed i didn't get one from um from my two-year-old to be honest so uh, yeah must do better but yeah um england yeah sorry i'm pining after andres because it's been so long since the depressor um yeah so england i mean of course calvin is the um is the big success story you know we've, we've been running pieces over the last few days looking at, at the various leeds players and 
how they've been getting on. And yeah, I think um, we've now lost uh, Click, Cooper and Alioski, haven't we? Tyler, of course, is sneaking on through there. And we can maybe talk about Wales in a little bit because the draw is is looking a little bit tantalising for Wales. And that's really going to frustrate me in the narrative that's going to be coming out of, uh, out of Cardiff, etc. But um, yeah, Tyler's ticking along without playing. I mean, Cock and Llorente are the same. But then Calvin, bless him, is is played more more outfield minutes than any other England player, which is just you know, poles apart from what the other three are doing from Leeds. So, yeah, I mean, it, it goes from strength to strength, doesn't it? I think, of course, Croatia was what was you know was just absolutely marvelous. You know, incredible performance and delivering what I think Leeds fans knew he could play well. But I think that the fact he played it in that role is probably what surprised even Leeds fans was that it was it was that dominant and a slightly more advanced position. You know, he was almost playing like the playing off Harry Kane at times, he was that far forward. Um, and you know, we had the typical whiplash reaction, didn't we, with um, with the Scotland game and suddenly chucking the baby out with the bathwater. You know, um, I think uh, Joe and I discussed this on Facebook the other day. Graham Souness went from pre-match praising him and then by half-time he was castigating him and retiring him from international football. It's just... Uh, it's just a bit strange, really, the way that the narrative moves like that. But um, you know, clearly, Gareth uh, really, really likes him. I think he praised him to, to the hilt the other night uh, in the fact that he kept him on and took Declan Rice off. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, as we know, the tests are only going to get harder from now on. And I can't see Southgate moving away from a double pivot at the very least. So uh, I would firmly expect he will, he will need to start against Germany, given the pressure they're going to put us under. Yeah, I think one of the things that hasn't changed throughout uh, England's group stage is that, you know, despite the, the the changing narrative around Calvin Phillips, which I suppose has been very, you know, it's it's been expected when you, you see some of the nationals and stuff like that. But one thing that hasn't changed is that, you know, going from pillar to post in every single game has been Calvin Phillips. You know, he's completed pressures, tackles, interceptions, he's covered distance. Again, it's something we discussed in the first episode that if he did play, it wouldn't be any surprise. And, you know, it hasn't been a surprise. He's been he's been imperious and that's probably one of the reasons why Southgate has gone well we don't need to drop him because he's he's doing the work of one and a half men here um and if you were thinking about how you know t- a team like Germany is going to attack and you know tactically going to be very aware then you're going to need someone who's going to be just as tactically adept so um if if Jordan Henderson I know he came on towards the end against the Czechs um if he's still not deemed fit enough to do 90 minutes then yeah I'd, I mean I'd, I'd keep uh, I'd keep Calvin in there um in terms of the draw though the round of 16 I saw somebody do a tweet uh, which was which was quite funny actually because if you look at both sides of the draw uh, obviously the tournament tree and how teams will then play each other and in, in Munich and St. Petersburg and then the other half will play in Rome and Baku. The teams that are playing each other, it's very much a wine versus beer bracket. So you, in, in one half, you've got Portugal, Italy, France, Switzerland, Croatia, Spain. Uh, and then in the other half of the bracket, you've got Sweden, Ukraine, England, Germany, Czech Republic, Netherlands, Wales, Denmark, which I think is exclusively beer. Um, and I think that's quite a, quite, a, quite a nice little, um, quite a nice little tidbit, quite a nice little, uh, a nice little wrinkle uh, to this Euro 2020. Um, it's, I mean, looking at those ties, we've just discussed England, Germany. Uh, the team, the players uh, from Leeds who are obviously through, you've got Diego Llorente, who obviously hasn't had time on the pitch, but um, he will be facing Croatia. He might get some time there. Obviously, Robin Koch coming to, to Wembley to face England. Um, and, and Tyler Roberts uh, playing Denmark in Amsterdam. That's going to be an interesting fixture as well, because I think they're two really well-matched teams. Um, I mean, I suppose what are your... What are your predictions? What are your expectations for, for this next round of games, specifically with those involving or potentially involving Leeds players? 
Yeah, it's 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 teed up quite nicely, isn't it? I mean, I don't think, other than Calvin, we're going to see much out of the Leeds boys who are left there. You tend to think if they haven't played in the group stage, are their managers going to call on them? Unless injury comes calling, obviously, um, for, for the knockout bits. Um, I guess, you know, um, Wales against Denmark, so... That I mean, that's going to be an occasion. Obviously, a lot of the neutrals have been rooting for Denmark, haven't they? Um, after what happened with with Christian Eriksen, um, but I mean, there's a scenario there where they, you know, if they go behind, they need a goal. Tyler could get on. That could be quite good. Um, and then I suppose with with the England hat on as well, you're looking at how the draw opens up afterwards. And we all knew that England were going to have this, you know, horrible uh, last sixteen game against um, against one of the big boys from that group. And as it ended up, it was nearly Hungary they had to play, which would have been uh, quite something. But after that, does it open up a bit? We've got we'll play the winners of Sweden, Ukraine. You know, not necessarily to um, to the uh, the highest octane teams in this uh, in this competition. And then uh, down at the other side, Netherlands, Czechs, Wales, Denmark. It's uh, you know, it's I don't want to say it's opening up and it's definitely coming home, but you know, stranger things have happened with England. <laughs> it's the favourable side of the draw, isn't it, Baron? Oh yeah, you'd have to say that, wouldn't you? I'm, I'm still thinking about beer, to be honest. Um, just just weighing up which uh, which of my IPAs I might have tonight, since you've talked about that. Um, yeah, I mean, Muis, I think we'll be having words after this because our, our good friend Nesta Watach will uh, will not have taken too kindly to you writing off the mighty Ukrainians who somehow have qualified with three points. Um, Sheva lives on. Um, it would be very very football for Ukraine to make the semis or something, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they did they, they, that last game. I don't know if either of you saw it when they played Austria. It was it, that was the crunch match. It was essentially who was going to go go ahead in second. Sorry, go through in second with the Netherlands, and Ukraine just didn't turn up. I mean, I was expecting big performances from Yarmolenko and Yuremchuk, but there was nothing. Yeah, I, I think I think like you say. I mean, sort of tongue in cheek, really talking about Ukraine army, but yeah, you'd have to think if they get through Germany, and I think Germany, you know by finishing second and by almost losing to Hungary, they've shown that they have got some serious weaknesses, which we hope England can expose, of course. Being English, it's, it's in our nature to kind of now build Germany up to this this world superpower and diminish our own abilities just out of fear. Um, but yeah, you, you would think if we get past Germany, then yeah, with all due respect, we should then beat Sweden, Ukraine. And and then we're into, I mean, that would be, that would be the semis. And then we've been to the semis against that, probably the Netherlands or... Wales or Denmark. I mean, the, the Denmark story is is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, there is a, a large part of me that's. I mean, they're my second team now. I'd think. I mean, it would be incredibly emotional if somehow, yeah, because they've not they've not played brilliantly. I mean, um, obviously Ericsson aside, however much that's affected them, you know, their performances haven't been tremendous until that last game where Christensen turned into uh, into Tony Aboa. Um But yeah, you you would think that, that England would then have a really really good tilt at, at the final. Um, but I mean, Group F last night. There's, there certainly was there was all of them kind of showed weaknesses, didn't they? Last night. I mean, I think all of them would have provided a difficult test for England, but certainly don't feel as scared of them as I was. Yeah, they all kind of showed that they have their individual weaknesses and that they they have the nicks to their game. I mean, Germany having sort of Joshua Kimmich out on the right hand side for the, the entirety of the group stage. A lot of people and, you know, a lot of German pundits have been going, it's kind of inexplicable why you wouldn't have one of the best defensive midfielders in world football in his best position. But clearly they've, they've managed to get through uh, in, in second place, I think it is, in Portugal in third. Um, but yeah, it, it, they, they kind of cancelled each other out, didn't they? You know, the fact that they've they've all had to essentially play that one of their hardest games of the tournament in the group stage. 
So now it's depending on how you look at it, whether it's glass half full, glass half empty, whether they, they're now they're warmed up to it, uh, like Spain probably will be now after defeating Slovakia 5-0 after a bit of a, a shaky start, um, or whether they've, 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 they've gone too early. They're, they're now they're going to suffer from sort of having played their best game of the, of the tournament to get past or to, to, to draw um, with one of the bigger boys in, in Group F. I think Germany, out of those three that were in Group F, the big boys obviously being France, Portugal and Germany, I think if if you're looking from an England perspective, uh, Germany were probably the ones that you would want, given that Portugal have Ronaldo, who is just that trump card. France have just that embarrassment of riches uh, and across every position. Um, and Germany just seem as though, you know, they're coming to the end of the Yogi Love cycle. Um they, they, it seems like one last dance, which is which is doomed to to end in in disgrace in somewhere like Rome or London or wherever. Um, I, I do think that Germany was probably the best draw uh, that England could have got from from that group. Uh, if you were sort of looking on paper, I know Hungary almost made a last minute tilt, but um, yeah, I think Germany's probably the best one there that England could have hoped. It would be very England to uh, to go out to Hungary as well, wouldn't it? You know, we're still um, still reeling from the last Euros, aren't we? With Iceland, you know, one of the uh, the smaller pe- uh, teams in there. But yeah, I, th- I think England as well. Um, so we've got to sort of check the expectations. I think this Southgate style, you know, isn't to uh, go out utilize all these attacking players, isn't it? And we're going to see England really try and control it again, which I think is really good news for Calvin Phillips in terms of him playing. You know, Southgate's. A lot's been said about the way he's he's looked at past winners of tournaments, France, Portugal, in recent times. He's trying to ape their style, isn't he? By um, you know these, these measured, controlled performances, which is why we've got the double pivot. You know, you get a lot of fans pulling their hair out, saying, you know, Sancho, why why aren't we bringing him off the bench? Why isn't Grealish starting every game? What was Foden doing, dropping out the squad? But but I think with my Leeds United hat on, this is good news for Calvin, and I think he's going to uh, keep on playing. I saw um. So one start earlier, actually, from uh, the the peerless LUFC data on Twitter, and in the uh, the fourteen hours of England football, Calvin Phillips has played. They've conceded one goal in that time from open play. So I think his uh, I think his place is safe in there, and you know that could that could suit England against some of these opponents. That's a hell of a start, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that is a hell of a start. I mean, Data's doing a great job there um, as ever. Um, I think. Um, Inevitably, you know, once once the Euros are out of the way, I mean, I mean, already attention feels like it's turning to the new season, doesn't it? I think with um, my my dates are all over the place, so I can't quite remember if we discussed the fixtures on the last podcast. But um, but if we didn't, um, then it couldn't get much tastier, could it? Than um, the Manchester United away on the opening day. I think that that brings all kinds of opportunities. Um, we know this team is a team that likes to to settle some settle some debates, right some wrongs. Um, and I think you know, the biggest wrong of a tremendous season was was of course the trip to Old Trafford, and I think I think one or two of the players have, have referenced that. And as we saw in the second half of last season, they did settle a lot of scores, didn't they? And um, namely with with Manchester United at Ellen Road and that that nil nil draw against a team that which were in tremendous form at the time. So that's a, a, a huge opportunity for Leeds. Um, it's a fairly mixed bag opening, but you know I think. <laughs> As we saw with a ninth place finish and, and finishing in top four form, really with with one defeat in eleven, they're not going to fear anybody. And I think it does come down to probably the. I'm sure at some point Sean Dyche has said this, but um, <laughs> probably unfairly sort of tarring him with this very mundane uh, analysis. But basically, you play everybody twice. <laughs> so um, 
Yeah, I, I don't really think it matters a great deal. I think it's just, it just it keeps people like us in their job, doesn't it? Sort of discussing it. <laughs> I think it's the, um, the the other factor as well with having Man United away on the first day of the season is is this going to be Leeds United fans' first away day in eighteen months? You know, it's at the moment True, it's looking yeah. pretty lightly. Um, I think today I've seen that Silverstone's getting one hundred and forty thousand people for the uh, the Grand Prix there in That's July. Mega, isn't it? Mega. So, I mean, if even. You know the the Premier League have said they're planning for full stadiums, full away allocations for the first weekend of the season. So, oh, I mean, can you imagine if you, if you're a home and away diehard Leeds United fan, you you have not been to an opposition stadium since uh, Hull City nil Hull, Leeds yeah. four uh, back in in February, wasn't it? That was um, mm. Tyler. Was that Ilan, yeah, was that Elon Meslier's first um, start in goal as well? I mean, it was. Just, yeah, it was, just, it was. The, it was the day after Casilla got banned, wasn't it? Yeah. So that just that just reminds you of just like how long ago that was, you know. Do you remember um, how good the breakfast was at Hull that day, Joe? We had an amazing breakfast. We did, didn't we? Yeah, oh, it was so at, good. Down at the bottom room of the uh, oh, of, of the KCOM, didn't we? Yeah, lashings oh, of was... brown sauce, endless um, portion sizes. It was tremendous. <laughs> You're making me jealous now, guys. You make, oh. like, cause just because Hull and uh, fans in stadiums predated me at Leeds Live doesn't mean you have to <laughs> rub it in at every opportunity. Come on, who knows? I mean, can you imagine though? You're saying though about the the. Uh, you're a diehard Leeds United fan. You follow them home and away. The last game, the last game you, you you might have went to was if you didn't get to the the, the end of season one uh, at against against West Brom. The last game you went to, you saw Bill scoring against Huddersfield with that fantastic strike. And then the next one you've got, you you seen your team trot out at, at Man United at Old Trafford um, after 18 months. I mean, that would just be an incredible feeling, absolutely surreal. Surreal is probably the right word for it, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Um... It just let's just hope the government delivers on it because if if they if they keep, I mean Angus spoke to the BBC shortly after I think actually on fixture release day and he said again that the Premier League of course are pushing for this to happen and they're quietly confident that when these restrictions do finally get lifted nineteenth of July at the time of recording um, we should then be in a good place another three weeks down the road for the stadiums to be if not full and very close to it I mean they're leaving the interpretation of the rules so open that it is really hard to kind of get a grasp on, on what, what they see the future as. But I'm hoping that they really do mean that on the 19th of July, pretty much everything is going to get lifted. I mean, masks might stay around, but in terms of distancing and especially an open-air stadium, you've got to have a really good shout of an open-air stadium being being capable of going to full capacity just to get some normality back into the world. Well, you've got to look at um, Wembley. It's it's going to be hosting seventy five percent capacity for yeah, the semis true. in the final at the Euros. So hopefully that's a good marker. And uh, you know, if that goes well, then that that can be the precedent essentially for um for for away fans getting back in full stadiums. But yeah, definitely in terms of uh, that 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 first that first game, that first away game of the season. Um, but yeah, in terms of the other fixtures, I don't know if you guys have got the any any dates earmarked. I, I'm looking potentially at the Brentford game. Uh, at Ellen Road on December the fourth, uh, Pontus Janssen facing facing Leeds in the uh, in the Premier League. I think that's just. I mean, again, it's something which keeps us in a job. But the the narrative, the story behind that. I mean, his post match interview after the uh, the the promotion uh, that Brentford secured at Wembley back in May. I mean, it's all it's all kind of building up to something, isn't it? Yeah, I think that'll be good. Um, we had him at the start of um, last season at Ellen Road. Um, and it was all still pretty fresh then, but it's it's a whole different kettle of fish really now if he's in the Premier League, isn't it? But I think interestingly as well, that kicks off um, a really tough month for Leeds, doesn't it, in December? Um, you've got all the narratives that, that Pontus brings 
um, on the 4th. And then it's uh, Chelsea away on the 11th, Man City away midweek on the 15th, Arsenal at home the 18th, Liverpool away Boxing Day, uh, and then Aston Villa on the on the twenty eighth at home, which is which is always spicy. There's, you know, there's there's more subplots than a series of the wire in that, isn't there? It's just going to be uh, <laughs> it's going to be absolutely fantastic month. That it's, I mean, it's a bit similar to what we had in April. I think you know last year we we sort of went, oh no, what if what if Leeds hasn't got forty points on the board by April? You know, what if it's looking over your shoulder time when they've, they've got to go to the Etihad, they've got to play Liverpool, Man United, and all that. Um, Turned out everything was fine. <laughs> Leeds, Leeds were just about safe, but then for good measure, they went and won at the Etihad and, and drew against all these other so-called big, big six sides. But um, yeah, going to be really interesting to see, you know, how, how Leeds, if they do pick up from where they start off last season, um, because a run of fixtures like that, if, if they aren't on their game, you know, and if they are dropping points or whatever, um, that could go quite a long way into sort of uh, sculpting, you know, how the season looks going into the, the January transfer window, couldn't it? Yeah, very much so. I think um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they start. I think, you know, famously in the Championship, they did start very, very well. They went to Liverpool last season and, and started very, very well despite losing. Um, and like you say, mate, I think they've, they've finished the season so well that we are just hoping that by some miracle, uh, the close season hasn't happened and they just kind of keep on coasting through. But yeah, we, we're well aware that there are an enormous amount of variables that will affect things um, between the West Brom and the uh, the Man United game. So, again, we trust in Bielsa, don't we? We we know exactly what he's capable of, especially in a preseason. I think that one of the most exciting things for me is is seeing the likes of Rodrigo get a full preseason. Um, I know that that um, Diego and Robin would probably like to return as late as possible, given that they've got um, ambitions with their with their countries at Euro twenty twenty. But the likes of Rodrigo getting a full preseason is going to be very very exciting. Um, he finished the season so, so well. If, if Bielsa can get his claws into him early, um, then that's going to bode very, very well for him. Rafinha, I mean, as amazing as it is, you know, he started last season, played the whole of last season so, so well, but that was without a pre-season under Bielsa. You know, it's, it's quite scary, actually, to think that if he can get himself to that level that Bielsa wants before the first game of the season, I mean, he could be he could be tremendous. And of course, didn't play a huge amount of football towards the end of the season, did he, after that injury? So, will be comparatively fresh and, and not run into the ground. Of course, hasn't gone to the Copper America with Brazil, which I'm sure has uh, hurt him a little bit because I know he's he's huge on on playing for his home nation at some stage. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just getting more and more exciting, isn't it? And I suppose the attention is slowly but surely turning to transfers, really. And the I think it's I think it's a week a week today. I'm led to believe that they will go back into pre season, and, and I think Victor is. Uh, Ambitious, wasn't he, when he when he set out that he wanted to get, if not all, then most of his business done before pre-season. But as ever with these things, it's it doesn't quite work out the way he wanted to all the time. Yeah, he did caveat it really, didn't he? He said, you know, in an ideal world that that yeah. would be what he'd do. But sometimes you get, I mean, there's so many different parties at play. Um, and obviously pre-season is going to be, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say disrupted because it, it won't be, it, they will have planned for this. But, um, you know, the fact that you're on, you you're going to get the likes of uh, Click, Phillips, Cock, Urente, all coming back sort of in dribs and drabs. It's not ideal, but at the same time, it's, you, you know, you're starting early enough that it's not going to be too much of a, 
too too it's not going to cause too much disruption um and you know seeing speaking of transfers and speaking of preseason it's good to see that um Jack Harrison didn't get the memo that, that Rodrigo clearly got of rest up over the these few weeks um we're going to need you to to hit the ground running on July 1st July 2nd but you know Jack Harrison's been out there he's been posting all these workout videos that he's been doing over in the states um in his in his time off i mean i think it it reflects, you know, the he's getting a pre preseason in. It just shows the mentality is there. It's already, you know, there's there's no uh, there's no other club that he's gonna he's gonna play for at the moment because he's just simply on a different plane. Um, and especially, you know, coming into the the Premier League season where people a few people might have thought, well, oh, is Jack Harris? You know, Man City have never sort of batted an eyelid to him. Is he going to be another Patrick Roberts type player? No, absolutely not. You, you you look at how many uh, English midfielders had as many goals and assists as him last season. It was just Jack Grealish who matched him. Um, and to to come into this this season uh, as we expect, you know, to to probably sign a, a permanent deal um, in the, over the next few weeks, then yeah, it's um it, it's one that I think I'm quite excited about seeing Jack Harrison, you know, settled. I know he has been settled, but settled in on paper, not just in in sort of in practice. He's, he's got form on this as well, hasn't he? Um, Baron, I know you spoke to a few of his um, his trainers, didn't you, a couple of years ago? I think it was after his first season at Leeds. He went uh, and he went into this full pre-season thing in New York, I think, didn't he, Baron? Yeah, yeah. He, he, I think, yeah, I think it must have been, it must have been the summer 2019, wasn't it? Because obviously last mm. summer was a complete write-off with, with the pandemic. So yeah, it would have been the, the summer after that first season and yeah, we like um, like Joe's just mentioned. We we saw the Instagram uh, videos and pictures of his time at New York. Of course, he's got a lot of roots there. That's um, that's where he, of course, played for New York City FC. So he's got a lot of a lot of friends and former coaches out there. You know, his 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 agent is American based. Um, of course, Jack's story is well told now, and that his mum took him over there to to basically sample an American life as a young footballer. She felt that was better for him than. And traipsing through the Manchester United Academy, and of course, it's been proven right. So he has got a lot of a lot of uh, root um, roots and, and connections over there. So yeah, it looks like he's gone to the West Coast this time uh, to Los Angeles. I know he had a, a proper holiday in Costa Rica with his with his partner, and he's now gone over to to Los Angeles. And I think he's working with with somebody different on this occasion. But like Joe says, I mean the the mentality is exactly the same. I think more and more now, you hear more and more players talking about this this modern age of you know. You don't really have a off t- off season anymore. You know, you might have a week where you really do get your feet up, but you're never really switching off completely from the idea that you need to be fit, you need to be firing. And if you want to get ahead of your your peers and your colleagues when it goes back to preseason, you need to be putting in the work in early. Um, I think you know years and decades ago, I'm sure from the early, the, the late nineties uh, and before. Many footballers would have properly just just chucked it in for for four or five weeks and, and gone into that first that first day of preseason in in awful shape with a beer gut. But even without Bielsa, footballers are doing that. But even with especially with Bielsa, it's just you know, I think it's just second nature. I think Charlie Cresswell was the the latest youngster to post a video yesterday. Joe Gellhart's been putting the work in in Liverpool and slamming some delicious balls into the back of the net. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really surprise me about Harrison. You know, he's he's a perfectionist and you know I think he would admit himself he doesn't always get it right but you know he's going to keep on trying and I think you see I mean the Burnley game especially stood out at the back end of the season you know he's got he's got a lot of improvement still to make and he's still very very young we are expecting his deal will get done on on July 1st and he'll be in there for the first day of pre-season.
Um, speaking of transfers then, uh, and obviously Jack Harrison, that, that move is, is expected to, to be announced uh, pretty soon. Um, and, you know, there, there's been, you both you, you both know what the, the transfer rumour mill is like at this time of year, especially uh, especially when the club haven't made any sort of explicit business. You know, there's been the the, the outgoing of, of Oliver Casey to, to Blackpool, which I think, you know, for, personally, I think is a great move for him. Um, dropping into the championship uh, at, at the first, you know, the first port of call. Uh, and then there's been interesting sort of players um, potentially coming into the under 23s as well. I think we've, we, we've heard some, some, some musings on them on Amari Miller from, from Birmingham city. He's an 18 year old wide midfielder there. Um, but obviously there's the, the, the left back debate. Alioski's contract is up in, you know, less than a week. And, you know, we, we still haven't heard any more on that, that eight and a half million that was supposed to be con- concluded for Roman Perot going to Southampton. Javi Galan has been gone a little bit quiet, perhaps, you know, there's there's still some there's still some some issues which need to be resolved I think over the next uh, next few weeks and I think we, we're confident that they will be resolved but Baron I'm, I'm going to come to you I mean what has sort of been the the latest on on sort of the transfer front I believe that you were you were in 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 contact with with Casey actually following his move yeah I had a really good chat with with Oliver on um what day is it today? It's Thursday today and so I had a chat I spoke to him on Wednesday uh, the day after the transfer was completed and Really, really good spirits. Actually, you know, spoke really, really well. Um, some some nice little anecdotes from from Bielsa, of course, and we'll get those out um, over the next few days on the website. Um, so I'm sure by the time pe- people might have even read that by the time they're listening to this. But yeah, I think a very, very good move for him. It sounds like all parties uh, were pretty happy for it to go ahead, which is why it got done so quickly. I think you've alluded to it there. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people with vested interests in footballers nowadays, especially the high-profile multimillionaires. And it, all it takes is for one dissenting voice to to scotch a move, really. You know, one one image rights expert can, can throw a hissy fit and suddenly a move gets thrown into doubt. So it, it's an incredibly hard thing to do nowadays, especially in the, in the waters they're fishing in, to get transfers done. So... I think the proof is that the case got done so quickly because everybody was, was happy with it. Um, I think Leeds are well aware, Bielsa is well aware, Casey himself is aware that realistically he's not going to be playing for the team this season. It'd be, it'd be another season with the 23s. If not that, then a season out on loan. And and that, I suppose, is is the more um, salient sort of decision to make is, do I want to go out on loan for a year or do I want to just go now and, and permanently and, and just start a new life for myself elsewhere? And it takes a lot of bravery to do that. You know, when I spoke to, to Casey, he referenced Luke Kaling and Liam Cooper, you know, ideal examples of players that have dropped down from um, from Premier League clubs. I, I can't recall if Hull were in the Prem when Cooper left, but you, you get my point. Um, dropped down the divisions and have ultimately now returned and are firmly established at a top half Premier League club, one of which is, is an international and the other of which is, is unfortunately coping with the best generation of England right backs we've ever seen. Um, so Casey will know that this is, is this is a well worn path that many young footballers take, and and he will hope that that he can he can swim rather than sink. Now, Championship, of course, will provide a real stern test of him. You know, th- this is not going to be a cakewalk for him just because he's coming from a Premier League academy. It's not like he's dropping down to League Two and he's just got to head it and kick it for forty six weeks. You know, he's going into a club which are new promoted, which will bring its own pressures. Um, I'm sure there will be a number of other more experienced centre-backs which Critchley will need to acquire and have in that squad to ensure they survive. But when his chance comes, he'll need to take it. Uh, and from what we've seen of him in the 23s, he's got every chance of doing that. 
but um, but fair play to him. You know, it, it's, it's a brave move to make. He had two more years at Leeds where he could have just sat around at the academy and just just coasting in PL two or on loan at a lower league club. But he's taken the decision to go out there and he's, he's got a three year deal with the option of a further year at Blackpool, uh, and it, it makes a lot of sense for me. Moving on to, to friendlies then, and they'll be the first games that, that Leeds play uh, ahead of the new Premier League season. And um, there's, there was three that were announced over the past week, and that was uh, Geisley, Blackburn and Fleetwood being played over the course of three or four days at the end of July. Uh, first up is Geisley, uh, Tuesday the 27th at 7.30 away. Um, it's I mean, it's a friendly which which gets played every year, essentially, so um, no surprises there. Um, but Baron, the potential of Rafinha at Geisley, are you looking forward to that? <laughs> Yeah, it, it has amused me actually just thinking about the, the friendlies and and the idea of, of Rafinha sort of tearing through the the rutted summer turf of Nethermore Park and trying to sort of get through the waft of burgers and onions from from six feet away on the sidelines because they are that close. But um, yeah, I, I think um, I think yes, I would love to see that to be honest. But I think when you do look at the the dates and the fact that Blackburn is literally the night after. Uh, and then Fleetwood is another two days after that. I mean, I know Bielsa likes to drive them hard, but you would think um, Rafinha is probably going to be more likely to play Ewood Park. Um, this is so. This is the end of July, so they're going to have been in pre-season for four weeks by this point. So, I mean, I wouldn't even rule out maybe a fixture before Geisley. I don't know how early Bielsa wants to get them out on the pitches, but given the new season doesn't start until August 14th, that's two weeks after Fleetwood. So there's definitely room for a couple more after Fleetwood, you would think. Uh, I know the club actually alluded to that in the in the press release that there would be more announced. Um, I think, as with most clubs, they will look at that weekend before the the Man United game and think this is where we want to play, arguably our showpiece friendly. I know there won't be any at Ellen Road this summer, so if they are going to play somebody at the top table of, if not English then European football, then they're probably going to be going abroad. So that will bring its own challenges, but. As I say that, I've just realised that hopefully restrictions will have lifted by then. But you know, international travel is another kettle of fish, isn't it? Um, I think I mean, Mewis will, will remember the previous friendlies at Geisley. It would probably be the, the 23s, wouldn't it? And maybe the fringy players. I mean, I recall Yasuki Idaguchi and Lawrence Debock playing at Geisley a year or two ago. Yeah, I can, it, was, it would have been two years ago, will it? And I can remember um, Jack Clark playing just after they'd re-signed him uh, on loan after he'd gone to Spurs. Noah Kenner came on. I think he was probably only about 16 at the time. So Didn't you get yeah, a thrilling I, post-match interview with Jack Clark that night, I remember? If yeah. Thrilling is the right adjective, Joe, if you want to dish the dirt. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite tough going, but, you know, he was, he was only young. <laughs> I'm not going to slag him off. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, um, we all had pretty high hopes from them, didn't we? Because he'd just come back. He'd sealed that £10 million move to Spurs, came back to Leeds, and I think all he had to show for it in half a season was, about 20 minutes at Kenilworth Road, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, that was an interesting one as an aside. But, but yeah, I'd, I'd say the, the, the Geisley game, that'll probably be be a younger team. Um, the Blackburn game should be quite interesting, I'd have thought. You know, it's um, that's the biggest game as it stands at the moment, isn't it? A trip to, to Ewood Park. Hopefully, again, fans should be able to get in because if, uh, if the July the 19th um, lifting does come in, you'd like to think maybe, you know, Leeds can send a couple of thousand over to Blackburn. You know, that's Traditionally, you, you get... They, they fill a whole end up, don't they, at Blackburn, the Leeds fans. Um, so we'll see with that. And then uh, Fleetwood, you've got some nice um, Leeds United narrative, don't you? You've got Simon Grayson in charge there. And uh, they've, they've signed a couple of um, Leeds youngsters as well, haven't they? So, you know, there's there's plenty to go on there. But ultimately, you know, it's it's pre-season, isn't it? These sort of games, they're, they're all about, you know, fitness. I think even more so under Bielsa. Um, 
we'll get we'll get to see how you know the likes of Rodrigo Rafinha do after a full Bielsa preseason or you know midway through it. As as you said earlier, Baron, I think that's one of the more interesting things about this um, about this preseason. Yeah, I think I think the Blackburn game. I think they've alluded to tickets being sold, haven't they, in the uh, in the press release? So I'm sure that that will happen. Um, and like you say, it's the Barry Douglas Classico, so I'm sure Bielsa will want to uh, want to respect that and, and and bring out the big guns. But I mean, it, like I say, with it being late July by that point, I mean, if we're talking best case scenario for England, then they're going to get to what is July 11th is the final, isn't it, for the Euros? So Calvin's going to need a week or two after that. So you might miss out on maybe if any of the Leeds players make it to the semis, it might be a bit touch and go for the, for for this batch of friendlies. But um, but I mean certainly the likes of Cooper, Click, and Alioski if he signs, you would think they're going to be not far off full strength really um, for that Blackburn game if everybody's fit and and returned in time. So yeah, it, it could get quite tasty that one. Um, and we we do like to see Bielsa's experiments, don't we? I, I recall going down to his. His first other game was at Forest Green Rovers in the summer of 2018 for a friendly, and I mean that that was just fascinating to see the 3-3-1-3 formation. You know, Stuart Dallas playing at left-sided centre back. It was just it was just crazy to see the players playing in the positions they were. Um, but they seem a bit more settled now, don't they? I don't think we'll get any harebrained schemes from him. I tell you what, Baron, a week for Calvin Phillips after playing non-stop between September and July, you drive a hard <laughs> bargain. Not me, Marcelo. <laughs> He's got yeah, you on the payroll now, has he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, w- I was I was thinking about the timings the other day when I wrote a piece and um, just trying to get my head around it. And yeah, I mean, it, if we are, yeah, we're hoping they make it to to July eleventh. Then yeah, if we're giving him two weeks, that's July twenty fifth. So I, I suppose that that still then gives him another two weeks, two and a half weeks to get ready for Man United, doesn't it? So it wouldn't be too beyond the realms of possibilities for for Bielsa to give him two weeks, but. We've seen before some of the players are keen to get back early. You know, it's not it's not normally Bielsa's choice. I mean, I think Janssen famously was one of these players that, that butted heads with Bielsa because he wanted all of the international players to basically go back at the same time and, and have the same amount of time off because they played for their countries that summer. And he was basically showing up by everybody. You know, people like Bailey Peacock, Farrell, Dallas, Click, they were all going back properly, if not first day, then second or third day of preseason with minimal time off. And, and Janssen was not cast in a particularly favourable light that summer. So, I mean, it may not well be Marcelo's choice. Calvin may want to get back sooner because um, he's not one to rest on his laurels, is he? No, and I suppose if Calvin Phillips returns to Leeds, having won the European Championships with England, <laughs> then, I mean, he's going to want to be on that open-top bus tour, isn't he? You know, just yeah. driving around town, horns beeping. Yeah, it would be, be... I mean, it's fanciful. It's fanciful. We've got to get past Germany first. But yeah, that's that's um, that, that's the, the, the potential scenes that will be uh, that will be taking place at Wortley Juniors FC. Uh, that'll be... Uh, they'll, they'll be great to, to see after one of their own lifting the, the, the Henry Delaney trophy. But um, yeah, I think that would be... It would be fantastic fantasy at best especially at this point and, and obviously speaking of fantasy um, we've got the, the return of fantasy Premier League fantasy football that, that Baron I know you're very very keen on uh, and I'm looking forward to the invite to the to the Leeds Live League this year to to maybe take your crown but um, first game of the season are you going to be putting any Leeds United players in that team for the trip to Old Trafford? Yeah I don't I don't like blowing my trumpet too much I'll, all I'll admit is that I, I love playing it and um, you know, I, I don't like really um showing myself off in that particular way. I think Mewis had an amazing start last season. He'll know that. You know, he's um he's getting better at his deadlines. He doesn't miss the occasional which which I think put pay to his season in the end. But Mewis started like a house on fire and I was sweating a little bit at one point thinking I'm not going to catch this guy. And he's 
he's, he basically does his transfers five minutes before deadline and he's absolutely embarrassing me. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we are looking at the fixtures in the cold light of day, you know, of course, I'm well aware that Rafinha, Ailing, um, they are probably offer the best value. I think Melier probably, there are probably a few goalkeepers that maybe are a touch cheaper that, that could possibly compete with him points wise. So I think Ailing and Rafinha are the ones I really like the look of. Um, but the fixtures, you know, when you are considering it, uh, comparing it to, to 20 other t- 19 other teams, there are teams with better fixture runs out there. I mean, it, it, Man United, Everton, Burnley, Liverpool, Newcastle. I mean, Man United and Liverpool, you know, on paper at least, are very, very stern tests. Um, Burnley, we you know, we put them away quite convincingly at Turf Moor. doesn't bother me too much. Uh, Everton and Newcastle can be difficult on their day. Um, I say can, I'm not saying they will, but they can be. So uh, Ailing might tempt me as a as a player to maybe start on the bench and then just have him in place for for later on. Um, but Rafinha will be very very hard to turn down at that value because if he starts at six point five million and starts like a house on fire, his price is going to shoot up to seven million, and you don't want to be paying more than you need to for for a player that we know is going to be dominating set pieces and dominating assists in this Leeds team. Um, Bamford. Don't know what you two think. A touch overpriced for me when you can get Rafinha for a million and a half cheaper. No, I I know where you're coming from. Yeah, it's interesting to see the different um, the, the different styles here in terms of doing your transfers. Joe, I, I want to come to you. Diamonds are made under pressure. Is that is that something that you've got in a plaque uh, above your uh, above your fantasy football team? Too right. I mean, yeah, you know, we're in journalism here. We, you know, we, we live and breathe deadlines, don't we? <laughs> you know, so uh, that's second nature. But. Um, yeah, there, there was there was more than a few, you know, in the in the previous world uh, away day trips where me and Barry were in the car and, you know, eleven thirty five. I ah, I've forgotten again. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you if um, anyone who beats Barron at this game, you're doing well. I'm convinced this man has. Um, I'm convinced his laptop's full of spreadsheets, um, algorithms, all kinds of stuff. Because um, yeah, he he does his homework. Um, so yeah. If you uh, if you want someone to aim for, Baron's Baron's a good man. But yeah, in terms of the Leeds team, a um, couple of players you didn't mention, Baron. I like Lorente at four point five million, just because I think if he's fit, he'll play every week. If Leeds are going to um, defend like they did with him in the team last year, I think he'll do well. Not sure how many goals he'll get. He obviously did get that one um, towards the end of last year. Was that the Liverpool game? Wasn't it? He scored. So you know, he's shown he has got a goal in him. Um, Rodrigo as well. Um, something I was going to mention earlier actually is. Do we see Rodrigo and Bamford maybe having a bit of a um, a competition to see who leads the line for Leeds this year? I'm I'm absolutely loath to write off Bamford like everyone did last summer. Um, you know, he came and he, he proved absolutely everyone wrong. 17 goals, bosh, brilliant. But do we think Rodrigo's form at the end of last year, you know, when he, he did come on and he came off the bench a few times, came up front, some really smart finishes... Do we do we think if he's got a whole preseason under his belt that he could be you know Leeds United's um, sole striker this year? It's I think it's a possibility. So I think at, at six point five million, he's he's probably better value than than Bamford is this year. Yeah, I think that's that's gonna be a really interesting shout. Uh, I'm happy to admit I do have spreadsheets. Absolutely <laughs> not gonna not gonna, uh, not gonna shy away from that. It's very very true. I, I honestly love it so much. Um, yeah, I think I think Rodrigo is. Um, is is a fascinating choice, and I think, like you say, it comes down to the minutes and where he's going to play. I think even even if he's you know, playing as the ten off Bamford, I still think that's pretty good value. I know he's listed as a forward in the game, and um, I still think he's going to get forward a lot. And I think the biggest question mark for him is just basically fitness. But if he can prove uh, as we think he is, 
he's he's a big part of that strongest eleven. Then I think he's he's great value as well, and, and probably will, like you say, take take owners away from Bamford in the game. Um, I think Ailing for me only shades Urente because of the assist potential. I think um, Ailing sort of uh, infamously sort of produced amazing attacking numbers last year. You know, uh, final third entries, you know, passes into the box, touches in the box, um, expected assists, that kind of thing. You know, all the stats that, that Donahue loves. Um, and actually didn't deliver a single goal or assist, uh, was completely embarrassed by Dallas, who, of course, ultimately moved forward into uh, into the team as, as a midfielder. So I think that's the only reason I would, I would pick out Ailing ahead of Urente. But, you know, you can do a lot worse than a very solid centre-back that's going to play every week. Um, whoever the left-back is might be interesting. You know, if they come into the game at 4-5 and it's going to be a, a, ball, a ball carrier in the the mould of Galan, if not Galan himself, then that could be very, very interesting if you can have like, this bullish left-back driving into into the opposition half. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're, you're Rafinha and Ailing for me, but um, yeah, Rodrigo's a good shout. Yeah, I think they're going to be my picks as well, um, Rafinha and potentially Ailing as well. Um, I think, yeah, the, the I wrote a piece on this, the assist potential of Ailing next season. Um, is is immense because you know you looked at you look at other 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 fullbacks who maybe got a little bit fortunate and ended up racking up quite a few assists and Aylin was just very 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 unlucky. Um, so yeah, there's that to look forward to. Um, I think that's all we've we've got to to cover on on this week's blue, white, and yellow. Um, it's been it's been a pleasure to, to have you both on, Joe. Uh, I think it was a, a debut you could be proud of, and and Baron, it's just the the constant seven out of tens, the Stuart Dallas performances from you. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to see. We are going to be on a bit of a rotation, aren't we? So um, I'm sure at some point we will we'll all be sort of dipping in and out of this. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just pleased to be back with my main man, Mewis. People know um, I'm very very fond of him, and they they, they see the camaraderie working on the Facebook lives, and hopefully they will continue into next season. And we may even get JD on a few of these Facebook lives at, uh, at some stadiums. Oh, that's the dream, isn't it? I like like the fans because obviously here at Leeds Live, we've only really um, had Baron allowed to go into stadiums because of the numbers. So, so feel so guilty about that. <laughs> yeah, so you, you you owe us, you know. Mewis has missed so points. much football. It's criminal how much football he's missed. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're, we're missing it as much as you guys. So uh, hopefully, let's let's get these restrictions gone. Let's um, let's get back in football stadiums next year. Oh, the dream. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for, for joining me on this one on the Blue, White and Yellow. Hopefully we'll have Connor back next week for, for normal hosting duties. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, stay safe, take care and bye for now. Bye.